to the School of Wellbeing podcast. I am your host, Meg Durham, wellbeing speaker, educator, and coach. I have taught and worked in schools across metropolitan and regional Australia, and I am dedicated to supporting big-hearted educators to prioritise their wellbeing and take courageous action despite the everyday pressures of school life. Because I want educators to know, you don't have to sacrifice your health, relationships and happiness to be a great teacher. Together, we are going to learn the lessons to help us teach well and be well. Let the learning begin. Hello and welcome to episode 90 of the podcast. It's hard to believe that we are already at 90 episodes. When I first started the podcast, my plan was to publish 10 episodes. And once I got started, I was hooked. It brings me so much joy to be able to share honest and heartfelt conversations with you each week and to be building a community of big-hearted teachers that are aspiring to be well and teach well. Imagine what is possible as a community of educators if we continue to prioritize our well-being, to take deliberate action, to move beyond the status quo and really listen to our bodies to give ourselves permission to be humans, to care for ourselves in new ways, for our students to see adults that are really thriving and well. This is what gets me excited. This is what gets me out of bed every day, to be creating a community of thriving teachers. How good does that sound? Together, each week, joining in this conversation and really thinking about how can I take what I'm hearing How can I take what I'm learning and apply it into my life in small, meaningful ways? And so today's conversation is going to help you on the journey of embracing rest, one of the most difficult skills for us as teachers, because so many of us have a complex relationship with rest. We have the story that if we rest, we're lazy. If we rest, there's something wrong with us. Or we tell ourselves that we can only rest once we've done all the jobs. And we know that all the jobs are never done. There's always more to do. So learning to rest is a skill. In today's episode, I have the joy of chatting with Susie Reading about her new book, Rest to Reset, The Busy Person's Guide to Pausing with Purpose. Susie is a mother, an author, chartered psychologist and coach that specializes in self-care, helping people manage their stress, emotions, and energetic bank account. It was her life experience of motherhood colliding with the terminal illness of her father that sparked her passion for self-care, which she now teaches to clients young and old to cope during periods of loss, stress, and change and to boost their resilience and face the future challenges of life. Susie is the author of several books that are designed to empower you with the tools to manage the challenges that life throws at us. In this conversation, we discuss how we can transform our relationship with rest, the unhelpful stories we tell ourselves about rest, why rest is the key to long-term health and happiness, and so much more. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Susie Reading. Welcome to the School of Wellbeing podcast. Oh, Meg, thank you so much for having me. Today we're going to be talking about your new book, 
Rest to Reset, A Busy Person's Guide to Pausing with Purpose. What do you hope readers will get from reading this book? First and foremost, I would love for there to be a renegotiation with their relationship with rest. You know, a sense of it's actually okay for me to do this. I know my why, coupled with genuine empowerment in how to do that. Beyond that, it's not just our relationship with rest. I really hope that this will facilitate transformation in our relationship with ourselves, a more compassionate relationship with ourselves. Yes, that is so true that when we give ourselves permission to rest, we give ourselves the opportunity to reconnect with who we are because in a world that is so busy and pulling us in so many different directions, having the ability and the skill to rest is quite profound. I love that you've named ability and skill there. Absolutely. And I think this is, it's something that is, is beaten out of us, right? Where, you know, you look at what's required of our children to, to navigate their school day. You've got to be still, you've got to be quiet, do this, do that. It's, it's almost like all of those natural impulses that we feel, we learn to dial them down so that we can attend to what's required of us. And then that's just extended into adult life where, you know, this subjugation of needs is, is required of us. You know, the ideal mother is selfless, right? So yes, it is, it's coming home to ourselves. And I think there's a really interesting parallel between our ability to rest and the skill of self-compassion. And when you look at what self-compassion is, I think it's, it's actually pretty poorly understood. The, the best definition I've come across of self-compassion is sensitivity to suffering coupled with the motivation to want to help avoid it or alleviate it. Now, I want to make it bigger than that. Why do we have to wait for the suffering? Can we take action at the whisper rather than waiting for the shout of illness, injury, conflict, burnout, overwhelm? Yeah. So that's, I'm hoping that that's a really useful parallel for people to understand the relationship between rest and self-compassion. Yes. And to listen to the whispers when, as you've said, we've been conditioned not to, we've got into this habit of, oh, I don't have time for that. No time for rest, no time to stop. I've just got to keep going and coming back to what is my body needing from me? What is it trying to tell me before it is screaming at us? You look at all the cultural messaging that we get. You snooze, you lose. Yeah. No pain, no gain. There's this constant pressure to override the fact that somehow being gentle is, is equated with being weak and productivity is conflated with self-worth. There's so much unpicking that we need to do to be able to come back to this notion of what rest is and, and why it's okay for us to do it. So what is rest? Beautiful. I'm so glad you asked. Okay. So for most people, when we think about rest, what comes to mind would be probably scrolling. It's generally sort of seen as lying down in stillness on your own, doing nothing. Now that can be rest, but I want to challenge that. I want to offer a completely fresh approach to rest, which I'm hoping will actually dial down some of those barriers that we feel to engaging in it. So my definition of rest is rest is any act that brings you back to balance. It's something that brings us back to harmony, back to a state of peace. That makes me feel peaceful just hearing it. It takes off all that pressure 
of feeling like we have to perform at rest and there's a right way to rest and a wrong way to rest. Instead, it allows us to come back to balance, to be with ourselves in this moment. And it's not so much about how we do it and making it right. It's about actually giving into it and surrendering to it. There's a beautiful wisdom there. Absolutely. I think sometimes it's helpful to observe what rest isn't. Rest isn't striving. It's not punitive. It's not ambitious. It's not pushy. Yeah. It's, it's got our well-being at heart, right? So I think we're so used to working hard. And when we work hard at our rest, it becomes another source of depletion. Well, how often do we negate the most nourishing practice? by what we say to ourselves during it. Like, I shouldn't be doing this. I'm lazy. I'm this. Oh, I should be doing this. Do you know what? Rest is self-compassion. It's being gentle with ourselves. It's noticing where we're at. It's thinking about how have I used my mind and body today? What do I need to bring me back to balance? Do I need solitude or do I need connection? Do I need an absence of stimulation or do I need stimulation of my choosing? If I've been involved in something really monotonous, Maybe I need gently sort of stretchy mental challenge. Or if I've been caregiving all day, maybe I need to receive. Maybe I need to turn some of that nurturing inwards. So it's a completely different way of approaching rest. And I hope that, I hope that resonates deeply for everyone listening. It's really resonating with me, Susie, and really inviting us all to reframe rest, to have a much wider experience of rest and knowing that it doesn't have to be simply quiet stopping it can be the rest of being in relationship with other people social rest you know to really get creative with it and rethink and redesign how can we bring rest into our busy lives in any moment and flipping it on its head too you know Often people think of rest as I must earn it. It's something that I can do after the fact. Yeah. But let's reframe that as, you know, rest is the nourishment that you need to sustain you. It's something that we can do proactively. It's part of our preparation. And it is an essential element in us learning how to pace ourselves compassionately. Yes, an essential element that allows us to pace ourselves. And what a skill is that? Because for listeners, they're just like me. We naturally tend to go fast, to do all the things for all the people. And learning how to pace ourselves, learning how to punctuate our day and take a moment, take a breath is such a skill and brings so much joy and connection if we allow ourselves to do it. There's a little mantra, if anyone's struggling with this, now this is the mantra that I've learned the hard way and so much of what I share in Rest to Reset, lived experience of becoming a mom at the same time as effectively losing my dad and it was an incredible chapter of squeeze. What I learned from that experience was that my depletion serves no one and my replenishment, my nourishment, my sustenance serves everybody. Yes. Our depletion doesn't serve anyone. 
there's no rewards for getting the most burnt out and the most exhausted, and yet it feels like we're racing towards it. Why is that? Well, it's it's that it's the hustle culture, isn't it? The grind culture that tells us, you know, if, if you're not if you're not producing, somehow you're not worthy. Well, there's that fear of if I'm not doing this, someone else is going to pick me at the post. In consumerism, literally pokes and prods at our insecurities every waking moment, and then we've got all of this. You know, before we used to see the grass is greener, like you'd look out the window and you'd see your neighbor's grass. Now, by virtue of social media, we get to see their glorious interiors. So there's this constant comparison that's fueling us. And then we see all of these, you know, these thought leaders, you know, psychologists like me saying, this is how we raise our children. And you've got your, your elite personal trainers saying, this is how you do fitness. And we've got our elite chefs and this and that. And it's like, oh my God, look at what I've got to live up to. All of this self-improvement is required of me. How can I possibly take a moment to just breathe and be? Yeah. It's in our faces constantly. And just talking about it is exhausting. That is so true. And it can feel like taking care of ourselves is just another job on the list. So when we're talking about rest, I'm really curious to know, was your relationship with rest always a peaceful one? Do you know, I had no idea growing up. I was so blessed with two parents that modeled a really rich variety of rest. My dad would have a siesta every weekend without fail. He'd also go for a walk on the headland every afternoon after his busy consulting practice. He was a psychiatrist and quite often I used to go with him. And that was his way of just letting off steam. He'd spent all day in conversation. We quite often, we wouldn't have deep and meaningful conversations. We'd go and count the birds, right? Because he was talked out and that was fine. So we still had our opportunity to connect. But, and then there was my mom who managed my dad's practice. So again, a very, very busy work day, but that was, she was supporting him. Now her rest was volunteering, being in choirs crocheting, knitting. And that's what I had modeled for me growing up. How lucky was I? So I've never felt guilty about having a nap. Yeah. But when I became a mum, I certainly found it difficult to prioritize, to acknowledge my needs, to prioritize them, to act on them because of this messaging that, that mothers should be selfless. So there was still some work to be done, but I've never seen rest as something that was not okay by virtue of, of what I had modelled growing up. But I realised that is not the case for so many people, is it, Meg? <laughs> no, that is not the case for so many people. They have this deep-seated story that rest means you're lazy. If you're resting, you're lazy. Nothing makes a teacher move quicker than thinking a colleague's going to come and think they're lazy or they don't have work to do. Like that gets people out of the staff room so quickly. It's like, I need to be seen to be doing things. I've got places to go. I'm very important. I've got to go, go, go. Because this fear of other people may think I'm lazy or I'm incompetent or I don't care enough. I'm not professional enough. I'm not busy enough. And so we have all of these stories going on in our heads that really prevent us even when we try I know the educators that I work with, when I talk about rest, they look at me like, what? what? Rest? Is that sleep? Like, how, what even is that? Because it hasn't been role modeled within our profession. Even they may engage in at home, but at school, it's almost like a no-no. 
And there are so many professions like that. My dad used to talk about his training as student doctor. 36 hours on call. They weren't even allowed to bloody sleep. These are the healthcare professionals, right? These are meant to be the pioneers of take care of yourself. And they were denied the human right of sleep. Yeah, it's so insidious. And there are so many professions in which we are just, you know, to be valued and to be seen as, as, as effective workers that we've got to be on all the time. And it's, it's toxic. It's really toxic. So what is the long-term consequences of being on all the time and not giving ourselves that permission to rest and reset? It's going to manifest in all sorts of different ways, whether it's emotional reactivity, whether it's mental fatigue, we're going to forget stuff. Yep, we are going to lose our decision-making capacity. That's where we get paralyzed, overwhelmed. We lose our ability to think straight. If we stay in that mode, in that survival mode for long enough, we lay ourselves vulnerable to anxiety, depression, and complete overwhelm. You know, just as eating, hydrating ourselves are basic human needs, sleep is a basic human need, but so is rest. One big reset overnight is insufficient given the stimulation that we face in our day. It's not enough, one big sleep overnight. We need an opportunity to release the energetic charge of our emotions throughout our day, opportunity to rest our senses, to tend to the health of our nervous system so that we can stay in rest and digest mode and give us a fighting chance of the capacity to empathize with other human beings. Yeah, it needs to punctuate our day just as stress is ever present. Yes, and without stress, we'd be jolly bored, wouldn't we? It's not about eradicating stress. The fact is we just need just like we're going to have little snacks, we need little rest breaks, little purposeful pauses to help us navigate our day. Yes, and really bringing home that message that sleep is not enough. Just because you've had a good night's sleep doesn't mean that you've had enough rest. You know, I've, I've had teachers say to me all the time, I'm sleeping really well, but I'm exhausted because we're getting that sleep, but we're not getting, as you say, that punctuation throughout the day that really allows us to constantly reset. I love that analogy of we wouldn't read a book without punctuation. It would be exhausting trying to read a book without punctuation. Some of the English teachers are probably saying, oh, well, I do that. I try, I'm doing lots of marking trying to figure out what's going on. But this is how we're running our day And what is available to us if we allow ourselves more pockets of rest? So for a busy person listening, what are some practical ways that we can start to play with including pockets of rest into our day? So my suggestion here is please start where you feel drawn, okay? Because just as, you know, what resonates for me might be totally different from what resonates for you, Meg, but also your own needs will change massively over the course of your day. So this is why we need a really broad toolkit from which to draw. So rather than just giving a bunch of practices, because it's harder to remember, but if you're thinking about, okay, so how am I going to rejuvenate myself? These are just some things to work with. So we've got touch, posture, movement, breath, and what we say to ourselves. How about that? So there's five to play with. Now, let me give you a couple of rituals that tap into all of those. So the first one would be the chicken wing shoulder roll. Stupid name. It's so you never forget it. And hopefully when you do it, you have a little giggle because laughter is medicinal too. And please, can we share this with our kids? 
Now, fingertips on shoulders to form our little chicken wing. Okay. Now, as you breathe in, lift your elbows up. And as you breathe out, take them back and down. Okay. Breathing in, elbows up. And breathing out, take them back and down. Now, there's no right or wrong way of doing it. You don't have to slow down your breath. You don't have to manipulate it in any way. Just enjoy moving with it. So this is a movement practice. This is a breathing practice. This is drawing us up into this tall upright posture, which research shows connects us with a feeling of personal power, optimism, zest. Yeah, six of those. We feel better for it. Let me explain why this is so potent. We're not just flapping our arms around, okay? We know that movement has a potent antidepressant effect, one. We know that our posture affects how we feel. So coming into that tall, upright posture, broad collarbones, helps us feel more poised and present. And we know that our breathing has a profound impact on our nervous system. When you do this with your arms, it opens the intercostal muscles to make more space for that fresh inhalation. When you do this... It ignites the diaphragm to help you more completely empty the lungs. So that physical movement actually helps you breathe better without you even thinking about your breath. And for anyone that's ever experienced feeling agitated by working with the breath on its own, pair it with movement. Especially if you're feeling anxious already, sometimes just sitting and trying to breathe bigger, breathe fuller can amplify that anxiety. Chicken wing it out. We chicken wing it together. Yeah. And as you say that, as you do that, I want you to say to yourself, I drop my day from my shoulders. Yeah, I'm giving myself a breather. Okay, so there's one. What we haven't tapped into there so much is touch. Let's get a practice that involves touch. So if we can rub hands together to create some warmth, let's, let's do hands heart. Let's tenderly just place hands across heart. And just give ourselves a moment with this loving gesture. One, we're extending touch to ourselves. Now, whether you receive touch from someone else or whether you give it to yourself, the body releases oxytocin. We know that's a feel-good hormone. It's also a hormone that helps us feel safe. And what I find is when I do this, it is nigh on impossible to trash talk myself. Okay? Now, as I do this, I'm going to say to myself, give myself permission to feel. Yeah, I make space for my feelings. I allow it to be as it is. I also give myself permission to be one fallible human being. I'm not going to get it right all the time. I don't have the resources of 10. I'm just one person. I'm just going to take a moment to just extend a little tenderness towards myself. And then I can re-enter the day with a little more softness. Yeah, a little more capacity to, to learn and grow, pitch up, make amends if I need to, reach out for support if I need to. Yeah, it's a little gateway to or compassionate behavior. So they're two little rituals, simply done, but powerful. And two little rituals that we can include in our classrooms. We could start a classroom session with just a quick, let's get these chicken arms going, big breaths, really open up, have some fun, and just really enjoy that. And then to finish the class, so we're punctuating at the start and the end, really allowing our brain to arrive and finish. And we can also do this in our staff meetings as we gather in a staff meeting because generally what we do is we race in, everyone's had a thousand things happening and then they're thinking about the next thousand things to go and we just go, go, go to actually arrive, take a moment to be present, to drop into what we're doing, 
be together during that meeting and then take a moment to finish, to stop before we go on to the next. It's like that analogy of the tabs open on our computer, just one tab at a time. Once we finish that task, close that task, on to the next thing. And as we do that, our mind's not feeling so scattered all the time, not sure where it kind of is because I know that the days when I'm really busy, I'm in that survival mode, my mind just feels so scattered and I feel like I can't grab hold of anything. But the days where I feel like I'm thriving and when I'm reminding myself to rest and just take moments, I feel like I can hold on to the task in front of me. I can actually hang on to it. I love that idea of closing some tabs and just giving ourselves permission to solo task. Yeah, multitasking is not all it's cracked up to be. It's hard for us human beings to do that. So permission to just do one thing at a time and allowing there to be a little segue between things. It doesn't have, I don't have to go from this to this to this to this. There can be a little, can we allow just a little liminal space? And if anyone's feeling totally full up and overwhelmed and in that state of paralysis of, oh my God, I've got all this stuff to do and I don't know what to do next, try this one. So this is another ritual that involves gentle touch. Now, it's something that we all do anyway. If we were to get bad news and we were standing up, we'd go, (gasps) if we were to get bad news and we were sitting down at a table, we'd go, oh, there's an acupressure point in our forehead. When we activate it, it's like hitting the reboot button for our nervous system. Very calming, very soothing. If you've only got one hand available, take the back of your hand to your forehead and firmly press. If you've got two hands free, do the two-handed version because it's more significant. Now we're going to make a fist with both hands and this soft part here at the base of your thumb. Imagine you've got two little goatee horns and you now press the base of your thumb into your goatee horns. (laughs) And as you do that, let your eyes close, let them soften, let them melt behind the eyelids, sinking back into their sockets. Feel that space between the eyebrows soften, relax your jaw, soften your tongue. Let go of all those things you haven't said, all of those expressions that you haven't shown. Just soften all the muscles of your face till it slow your rate of breathing down. A little pocket of peace. And now to release the hands, and what I'm hoping you'll experience is greater clarity of vision. We're now ready for something else. We can make a choice. We can be more purposeful, more productive. Or effective. And this is the paradox, isn't it? That we tell ourselves that we're going to be more productive the busier we are, when in reality, we're much more productive and we're much more deliberate when we slow down. Please, can we just acknowledge that there are diminishing returns for pushing on? Yeah. Push on because you don't want to have the distraction of a break. Yeah. We start to make more errors. It takes us longer. It's harder to make decisions. The research shows that a break of as little as six seconds can enhance our performance. So a break is not a distraction. It's not a waste of time. It will actually save you time because you'll be more effective when you come back to task. Yes, and I've experienced that time and time again in my own life where I've had those moments where I'm just sitting in front of my computer, scrolling through all the emails just on loop, thinking, oh, which one am I going to attack? Which one can I delete? And I'm just in overwhelm. 
spinning through the emails and it could be an hour, like I just get stuck there. But the times where I catch myself and notice that I'm spinning my wheels and I go and return, I'm so much more effective. I can make just better decisions. But it's about catching ourselves in those moments where our brain is just keep going, just keep going, just keep going. Yeah, I think that's a really powerful observation. And it comes back to this notion of um, being deliberate, getting intentional and thinking about how we pace ourselves. You know, when you look at your day, hopefully we've created some space to have a meal, (laughs) right, in the middle of our day. How can we factor in? Now, given these practices, the ones that we've, we've shared together today, we're talking 60 seconds. I think we just need to become practiced at, do you know what, before I sit and address my inbox, I'm going to do a little practice. Or maybe after I've sent that email, especially if it's something that I've had to really, uh, you know, work hard to, to articulate myself, I'm going to do another practice after that. I think of it as the scaffolding in my day that I need to be able to function as I aspire to. And it becomes a way of life when we get really skilled at it. Yes, that sounds great to make it a way of life and have it attached to things that we do all the time. And so before we do that task that we do all the time, it may be doing the role or opening up your laptop, whatever it is, what is that small bit of respite that we can engage in that allows us to enter that task with a fresh slate? ready to go, new tab open, we're ready, we're focused, let's make magic happen. So when you've worked with clients over the years and helped them engage in more rest, what have you started to notice in the way that they experience life? It literally changes the way we see life unfold. When we're depleted, the tiniest of things can needle us. And of course they do because we're human. When we're well-resourced, we may interpret that differently, okay? Maybe it's a challenge or maybe we have the capacity to make a kinder attribution to that behaviour of someone else, yeah? We don't leap to that conclusion of they've done that because they're so-and-so. Maybe we're aware of, oh, perhaps they've had a poor night's sleep or maybe they've got a lot on their plate, yeah? It changes the way we see life unfold. And how incredible would that be working in education if we had a clearer lens? It's almost like when we give ourselves permission to rest, to have these pockets of respite, we're literally cleaning our lens. We can see clearer instead of it being all foggy all the time. I think it gives us access to to empathy and compassion, doesn't it? Because when we're in fight or flight, frontal cortex is offline, we're in self-defense mode. You know, modern life literally pushes us in that direction, doesn't it? So if we can reclaim the right to sustain ourselves, that tenderness, honestly, is just the most beautiful gift that keeps on giving. Yes, the gift that keeps on giving. That's what rest can be in our lives if we give ourselves permission to start practicing it in small ways, in consistent ways, and then build up over time. 
So to wrap up this incredible conversation, Susie, I'd love to invite you to finish four sentences. Are you up for that? Yes. Yeah, let's do it. I am inspired by people who pace themselves with compassion. When life feels hard. Get tender. An underrated skill is. The ability to rest. And I'm looking forward to. Expressing myself with my restorative practices. Susie, thank you for writing this book. And I think it would be the perfect book for staff rooms all around the country. For school leaders listening, just buy a few copies, pop them on the desks, pop them on the tables, because it's a beautiful, beautiful book. And it really invites us to reimagine our relationship with rest. So thank you for writing this beautiful book. And thank you for being a guest of the School of Wellbeing podcast. Oh, Meg, do you know what? It is such an honour. And my heart goes out to all the educators because I honestly don't know how you have weathered the last three years and you're still in it. We're still in the aftermath of it. I think you're absolutely phenomenal and you've been pushed to the absolute limits of human capacity. And I really hope that there's something in our conversation today that facilitates your replenishment because my goodness, you deserve it. I'm not sure about you, but I feel so much calmer after listening to Susie. And I also feel that rest is a little bit more possible now, that it doesn't have to be a big, mighty event. It can be simple moments of respite to catch our breath, to do a little stretch, to breathe deeply, to go back to basics. Susie's book, Rest to Reset, The Busy Person's Guide to Pausing with Purpose is now available online. To learn more about Susie and the wonderful work she does in the world, see the show notes for more details. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with anyone you know that would benefit from listening. Or reach out to me on Instagram or LinkedIn and let me know what resonated most with you. To learn more about the ways that I can help you and your school community thrive, visit my website, openmindeducation.com. There you can book me to speak, learn about my game-changing wellbeing programs or download my free five-step energy guide. You can find all the links from today's episode at openmindeducation.com forward slash episode 90. Thank you for listening to this episode of the School of Wellbeing and I look forward to sharing more heartfelt conversations with you next week. Until then, take care and take deliberate action.